Welcome to LifeBridge Online. Whenever it is that you're watching this, once again, we're grateful that you are tuning in and you're allowing us to be part of your life. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to minister to you. And we pray often that the things we teach, whatever is shared on video, uh, will, will reflect God, it will honor God, and, and it will be a blessing and an encouragement to your life. As a matter of fact, let's pray right now for that very thing. And then we're going to get into this this topic about uh, the title of Jesus, the Son of Man. Pray with me. Father, you are powerful, and you could reach into our lives no matter where we are, what we're doing. God, whether we're driving down the road or cutting grass or doing some other chore, listening to this, uh, this video, this teaching, Father, you can reach us. And I pray that your word reaches into our life, meets us where we are, Lord, if we need encouragement this morning, if we need conviction, if, if we need uh, to be comforted, Lord, or if we just need to be corrected, I pray that your word does that very thing. May we always strive to live as Jesus would live our lives if he were us. Thank you, God. Amen. Well, we are in week 17 of a series uh, through the Bible called Core 52, as we look at 52 core passages that when you look at them together, they're going to kind of give you a big idea of, of what the Bible is about. And so we're week 17, and the title is The Son of Man. And it's an interesting title. Uh, it's not something that most of us, certainly myself, have thought about. This is an emotional time of year for uh, my family. Uh, my oldest son, my only son, uh, is uh, graduating soon. Uh, we're at the end of the school year, and we're so we're having those those final moments of of golf, of football, of baseball. Last night, uh, you know, there's a, just a few more days. He will actually, because of the the educational system right now in the state of Alabama. He will actually only go to school about eight more days. Everything else will be done online. And then towards the end of May, he will graduate. And Amanda and I are making plans for family to, to travel over. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate at home with family. We're going to celebrate at the church with, with our church family, with our faith family. And we're looking forward to that. But part of that celebration is that there's going to be a slideshow presented at a graduation ceremony at our church. And so we have been looking at pictures for, man, for a few weeks. As, as we're just gathering pictures for, for this slideshow, and of course, that takes you down memory road, right? And you sit there and you think about the moment that that picture was, was taken. Uh, we laugh a lot. We've had a lot of joy come from this. Man, we've, we've had some great conversations about Griffin. Uh, we've talked about his next season of life. You know, and one of the things that we ask is, man, how's he going to do? H how's he going to do in the next season of life? And we ask ourselves as parents, man, have we done the necessary parenting to prepare him? You know, have we done the things needed to prepare him emotionally? Uh, to prepare him mentally, to repair, to prepare him relationally, and certainly spiritually. And one of the things is we've had these discussions the past few weeks. 
one of these things I realize is that my parenting style, and I prob you could probably relate to this as well if you're a parent, is very similar to how my parents, or for you, how your parents raised you. It's a crazy how many similarities there are. And for me, parenting is centered around several phrases that we just repeat over and over and over and over again, right? And so like, there's just all these phrases, these catchphrases, if you will, from, from life that, that kind of sums up parenting. You, you know, for one, like you probably heard this a lot. Maybe you didn't, I, I might've heard this a time or two. If I have to pull this car over, and there was always attitude, right? I mean, it, it was never said pleasantly, it was never said with joy. If I have to pull this car over, I mean, that meant business, all right? How elbows off the table, you know? I, back in the day, we used to eat at the, at the family dinner table. Everybody had their spot, the table would be set, fork on the left, knife, knife and spoon on the right, so on and so forth, and just proper etiquette was, was <laughs> encouraged by my mom and one of those things was man you get that you get up there and lean in as you're shoveling food in the mouth elbows off the table uh, you know back in my day when we lived in a, in a subdivision it was come home when the street lights are on like that was the that was the curfew that that was the sign when you had to be there it wasn't a cell phone to text or anything like that it was when those street lights start to kick on you better be coming down the road uh, money doesn't grow on trees, man. We heard that a lot. Um, your wants won't kill you, you know, because I, I always wanted things. And so I would hear both of those things when I wanted something. Man, I want these new basketball shoes or I want I want these these new Jordans or the, the Reeboks that used to pump up. Your wants won't kill you or money doesn't grow on trees. How about this? Don't run with sharp objects. Yeah, I don't know what it is about sharp objects that suddenly instill kids to want to run, but don't run with sharp objects uh, or don't stick that in the outlet. And I know that's really directed towards, towards toddlers and kids who are exploring and getting out, but still something that is said in households a lot by parents. Uh, another one, do as I say, not as I do, right? Me meaning, you know, hey, I'm above the law. That's pretty much what every parent is saying is these rules, this moment. It doesn't apply to me, but do as I say, not as I do. Uh, <clears throat> stop crying. I'll give you something to cry about. Man, I've, I've probably said that, and Griffin would agree. I've said that a lot more to him than uh, I have Stella. Uh, how about this one? As long as you're under my roof, you live by my rules. Man, that's a truth. As I've got an 18-year-old that wants to move out, uh, and and he's he's not going to be moving out anytime soon. He's going to be going to college local. He's going to stay here with us. He, you better believe. As long as you live under my roof, you will live by my rules. <clears throat> Another phrase that that was mentioned a lot, especially back in the '90s when the whole "Start Wearing Your Seatbelt" campaign really came along, was "Click it or ticket." Right, and so that was that was said often. Uh, how about today? It's don't text and drive. Like we say that to our kids all the time. Don't text and drive. You know, put the cell phone down. Uh, in my household right now, there, there's a certain phrase that that gets said often, and, and that's uh, no Chick Fil A if the attitude continues. 
right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I said that last night at a ball game for, to, to my daughter. No Chick-fil-A if the attitude continues. And I'm telling you, it works. It works. Uh, and then, you know, another one that I heard a lot, man, if they put your brain in a hummingbird, it would fly backwards. Okay, I'm just kidding. I, I didn't hear that one uh, ever growing up as a child. The reason, though, we repeat these phrases in our parenting is to simply drive home a point about whatever the situation may warrant, whether it's elbows on the table and proper etiquette or whether it's, it, it's money not growing on trees. And here's the thing. The Bible is also full of repetitive phrases that are intended to drive home a truth for our life. You know, you think through some of the popular phrases in Scripture, like, the, like fear not. Some version of fear not or do not be afraid is sprinkled throughout the Bible some 360 plus times. Uh, ten of those times, do not be afraid, is followed by do not be discouraged. And so there's a point there. Throughout Scripture, 360 plus times, it, don't worry, don't fear that this is a big deal, don't be afraid. Ten of those times, do not be afraid and do not, do not be discouraged. Th those go hand in hand. Uh, how about this? In Him or with Him, the emphasis of Jesus in our life, that, that that phrase in him is mentioned numerous times in Scripture. Uh, in the book of Amos, there's a, a, a phrase, uh, actually it's a sentence, it's a declaration from the, from the Lord. He says, you did not return to me. In the book of Amos, chapters 4, 5, and 6, man, this is used over and over and over again. And it's it's meant to drive home a point. And any time there is repetition in any discourse, there is importance on what is being repeated. And that certainly holds true for our topic today, the Son of Man. So this term, Son of Man, is more common throughout the Bible than I ever realized. I knew it was a title. I knew it was something that was referred to, uh, referring to Jesus, and I know that it was something that Jesus referred to himself as. But Son of Man is used 192 times throughout Scripture. The title, Son of Man, is used 85 times in the New Testament. 81 of those times is found in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 80 of those, it is Jesus who refers to himself as the Son of Man. And so if repetition is important and it needs our attention, when Jesus repeats something over and over, I believe it deserves extra attention. So why does Jesus call himself the son of man. Like, I mean, I was thinking about this. Like, if he referred to himself as the son of man 80 plus times, why did he do that? Well, I, I came up with a, a few reasons uh, just studying through this. Uh, you may want to write these down. 
why did Jesus call himself or refer to himself as the Son of Man? Number one, because he is the bridge between man and God. And we talked about this some last week in, in our sermon on the new covenant. You know, he is the go-between, God and human beings. 1 Timothy 2.5 says that, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. The second reason that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man is because he became approachable for mankind. Like all men everywhere, human beings can approach Jesus. That was a literal thing that people could approach Jesus as he walked this earth, and we're able to approach Jesus now. Of course, Matthew eleven twenty eight tells us that we are to come. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. You come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. Rest. I think the Son of Man title, as you'll see, will play into all of these things. The third reason he calls himself the Son of Man is because he gives us the relationship to God. This, again, ties back into the New Covenant talk we had last week. Uh, but Hebrews 10 sheds a little light on this. Verse 19, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Jump down to verse 22. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him through Jesus becoming the son of man and taking on the role of flesh we have direct access to God, and God wants us to be in relationship with him. The fourth thing, the fourth reason Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man is because he wanted to identify with us. I want you to think about that for a second. He wanted to identify. He wanted us to see that that. He is full-on man. Uh, Charles Spurgeon makes this point. I love Charles Spurgeon. How fond our master was of the sweet title, the Son of Man. If he had chosen, he might always have spoken of himself as the Son of God, or the Everlasting Father, or the Wonderful, or the Counselor, the Prince of Peace. He has a thousand magnificent titles, but he does not care to use them to express his humility and let us see the lowliness of him whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. He does not call himself the son of God, but he speaks of himself always as the son of man who came down from heaven. Let us learn a lesson of humility from our savior. Let us never court great titles nor proud degrees. The last reason that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man really resonates with me. He calls himself the Son of Man because he wants to identify with me. He wants to identify with us. And there's hundreds of titles, Spurgeon points out, that Jesus can be addressed as, and yet he chose to refer to himself as the Son of Man the most. 
And he did this so that we can have connection. And, and I've never associated this title before as one of humility. But as our Core 52, if you're reading along, our Core 52 essay points out, this title, Son of Man, is friendly, but it's not flattering. It's not a bad title to be called the Son of Man, but it's, it's not a good one either. So this gives us a glimpse of who the Son of Man really is. The very essence of Jesus is found within this title. Jesus is confident in his deity, but he's comfortable in his humanity. He knows that he is God's son and he will sit on the throne, but he was comfortable with becoming a human. And here's what we must understand about this move from deity to flesh. Incarnation, and that, that's what that is, uh, deity becoming flesh. This move is all about the gospel message we are to share with others. It really is when you think about it. The gospel, in its simplest understanding, of course the gospel means good news, but in its simplest understanding is Jesus being the perfect sacrifice for sins and Jesus showing us how to live in this life. I mean, that is essentially what the gospel message is. Jesus becoming the perfect sacrifice for sins and Jesus showing us how to live in this life. In order to be the perfect sacrifice, he had to take on human form to bear the weight of our sins as he hung on that cross. The wrath of God on Jesus was to be separated from the presence of God. And Jesus could only do this in human form. He could not do this as God's son. He couldn't do this as deity. He had to become flesh in order to take on the full wrath to be completely separate from God. But the second part of the gospel is that he shows us how to best live our life. He shows me how to best live my life today. As I do the things that I'm going to do, as I minister to the people that I'm going to minister to, as I, as I prepare things for, for the future, I've got a men's group I'm meeting with tomorrow, and so I'm going to study today. Jesus is showing me how to do this the best way. You think about that. If Jesus is going to show us how to live life, if he does this in the form of God's son, if he does this from a place of deity, if he does this you know, with supernatural powers, we're not going to believe it. That's going to always be the excuse is that Jesus is the perfect person because of his supernatural ability. But Jesus became full on human. He stepped out of the splendor and the glory of heaven to come to earth. He loves us dearly, and God desires to have relationship with us. And Philippians 2 tells us just how far Jesus was willing to go. 
And church, I'm telling you right now, he was willing to go to great lengths to become the son of man. This was made possible because of the humility that Jesus was willing to model for us. And that's the lesson today. Like, like that is the lesson, the very essence of Jesus and his move from deity to flesh is centered on, it's built on this characteristic of humility. And so as we try to become like Jesus in this life, the Son of Man teaches us that humility is a must. It doesn't matter who's hearing this right now. We can all be more humble and truthfully should strive to be so. Uh, Psychology Today Journal in 2020, I read this, reports that narcissism and self-promotion is on the rise at a rapid pace in our country. And it's having just, a, a, it's destroying people because we're so self-involved. You probably see it around you. Uh, my family has gotten to where we, we shy away from social media and we shy away from a lot of the, the self-promoting apps to connect with other people, but it's to oftentimes use to brag about self. And, and man, it, it hurts. It hurts to see this. We could all use a greater dose of humility. And so today, I, I want to do two things with you. I want to share just a few Bible passages and just let God's Word speak to you as a reminder about humility. And then I want to give you four quick things you can do to develop humility. And so hear from God's Word right now. If you will, I would love it if you could just kind of pause what you're doing and you could just listen to the Word of God. And you can let the Word of God speak into your life when it comes to humility. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, the greatest among you must become a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted proverbs 27 let other people praise you not your own mouth a stranger but not your own lips first peter 5 in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For it is said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Psalm 138, 6. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance 
from those with pride. The Bible emphasizes humility, and I could have read a dozen more passages. It emphasizes humility because the opposite of humility is pride and promoting self or thinking too highly of self. And, and this is extremely dangerous. When humility is absent, we become prideful. We put ourselves on the throne instead of God. And when, any, when we have any type of idol that we worship, when we make any other God, that's danger. It's blasphemy. That's the very thing that the Lord cannot stand. And it's what all sin is rooted in. And so humility must become more part, uh, more present in my life. So, so how do I develop humility? I got four things. You could probably find a, a, several lists. Uh, I think Billy Graham's got a list. And uh, there's several resources out there to, to help you find a list. These are four things that I came up with that I think if you start doing these things on a regular basis, that, that you're going you're gonna to see, you're going to start to develop humility. And, and this is not on the list, but this is where I would start. I would ask you to find a friend, a peer, a spouse, and you just, just let them speak into your life. And you let them be honest. You let them be brutally honest. And just ask them, am I a humble person in your eyes? Or do you see pride welling up? What are the areas that you see pride in my life? How do I promote self? How do I promote, how am I boastful in the things that I do? I would encourage you to start there and I would encourage you to let them speak into your life. And if they come back with, man, here's where you're prideful. This is where humility would help you out. Because truthfully, we all can work on humility. To so do these four things right here, after you have that conversation, do these four things and, and see if you don't start to develop humility. Number one is realize that every gift or ability you have comes from God. Like, like I've got to tell myself that often. This is one of those things that gets written on my, my whiteboard in my office where I see this. Every gift or ability you have comes from God. James 1.17 tells us that, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. I mean, if you're good at something, church, we need to realize that God gives us the gifts and the abilities that we have to do that. And it doesn't matter what it is. If you're the best in your office, if you're the best mechanic, if you're the best chef, it doesn't matter what it is. God has given you the gifting and the ability to do so. And I want to let you in on a little secret about spiritual gifts and God. He gives every single one of us spiritual gifts. But here's the thing about the spiritual gifts that God gives us. He gives us these gifts so that we can be a blessing for other people. He gives us these gifts so that we could be so that we could serve him and serve other people as we serve him. The gifts and the abilities that God has given us is always for the benefit of others. And here's the thing, there's nothing wrong with your gifts, with your abilities, your accomplishments being highlighted. You're just not the one that needs to do it. That's what the Proverbs 27 verse said. Let other people praise you. If you have to brag on yourself, watch out. Hey, the second thing 
is that we are to see and treat other people better than ourselves. And this is difficult to live out. I have moments in my life where, man, I get this. I check that box. I do a great job with this. And then there are moments in my life, man, where I struggle greatly. In Philippians chapter 2, and this is the, the section where, where Paul is writing about the very humility of Jesus, where he steps out of heaven to come to earth. Verse 3 in Philippians 2 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And here's the truth. We're not going to ever count more other people more significant than ourselves without humility. We, we, we might be able to meet a need. We might be able to, to invest in them. But to count them more significant, to say that your life means more than my life, will never happen without humility. So see and treat others better than you do yourself. The third thing I would say to develop humility in your life is don't seek to please man, but seek to please God. You know, Colossians is, uh, has a great verse on this. and It talks about our work. It says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I can get on a soapbox here about ministry in, within the church. And when, when people do things, we're, we're always worried about what our peers think. We're always worried about, you know, hey, you, the audience that's listening to this, I get wrapped up with, man, I hope I did a good job of delivering this. I hope I was pleasant on the ears. I hope I was easy to listen to. And I know none of those things happen week in, week out. Most of the time, truthfully, those things don't happen. But that's that's our concern. That's what we're worried about. Instead of, man, did I honor God with this? Did, did what I do as I opened up my home for my life group to meet, was that God honoring? Don't seek to please man. Seek to please God and let that be what matters most. The fourth and final thing, and we're almost done, and this one's tough. This one is tough, and I've had some some serious conversations this week with another uh, pastor buddy of mine, and it's confess your sin and be willing to forgive others. Straight up, Jesus tells us, if you're not willing to forgive others, you're not going to receive the forgiveness of others. And, and, and there might be grudges, there might be things that you're holding on to right now where you're just like, I, I can't forgive Forgiving others takes humility. And so we need to identify those grudges. We need to identify those things. And we need to be willing to forgive the others. The, the first thing I said there, though, was to, that we are to confess our sins. And James 5 tells us that confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. James is instructing believers who are struggling with sin to seek faithful and trusted brothers and sisters in Christ who will intercede for them in their battle with sin. And he's not suggesting that, that we confess our sins carelessly to anybody. He's not saying, hey, Michael, just stand up here in front of the congregation or on video and just blurt out all your sins to everybody. But I need to have a mature person in my life. I need to have spiritual uh, support. I need to have practical support on how to overcome sin. And we should always confess our sins to those that we have sinned against 
We should own it when we're wrong. And we should seek forgiveness. Getting into the practice of confessing sin brings us to a place where we have to trust other people. We have to become vulnerable. And as we become vulnerable in sharing our struggles, humility is developed. When humility is present in our life, God will lift us up. You think about it, Mark Moore made these points about Jesus. You think about his life. He came in, in incarnation, but he rose in resurrection. He was born in poverty, in, in, a, in a stable, but he rose to the throne. He died on a cross, but he now wears a crown. Before he was exalted, he took a low place of service, of giving of self, of putting others first. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Until next week, we'll see you.